The following podcast contains explicit language. Hi, this is Sex Lives, New York Magazine's talk show about sex. I'm Maureen O'Connor. I first met Scott Rising on the dance floor of some crazy queer nightlife party in New York and was totally intrigued when I later found out he grew up in Anchorage, Alaska, in an environment so totally different than the one I met him in. I was thinking about Scott over the course of the election when so many people were drawing the contrast between the quote-unquote bubble of New York City and the America they refer to as real America, because I was thinking, how could this possibly be a bubble when so many of us are actually from red states? And so today I decided to invite Scott onto the show to discuss this topic with the person whose life has run parallel to his since birth, his twin sister, Julie Rising. She grew up with him in Alaska, and she lives today in Boise, Idaho, and is a lesbian. Hello, Scott and Julie. Happy birthday, you two. You guys just turned 28, right? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. you. (laughs) I know you guys both grew up together, obviously, in Alaska. What was that like? What were you guys like as kids? Scott, what were you like? (laughs) Um, well, I was a really chunky kid with a high-pitched voice and busted grill. Um, I, so I was literally a big target um, for kids. They would make fun of me, uh, my my voice. Um, I was really interested in, you know, I would say traditionally feminine things. It was like... Like what? Like, you know, I wouldn't want a Barbie doll, but I would want a Ken doll. So it was, wow. I was, like, it was like my own spin on it. Um, I, I loved you know, Broadway musical soundtracks. I would listen to show tunes. Um, and yeah, so not not your typical, like, you know, eight-year-old, nine-year-old, 10-year-old boy. In Anchorage. How did that go Alaska. over in Anchorage? Yeah. Um, when, when Palin entered the scene, Alaska was sort of outed as being a little, you know, backwaters uh, state. It's basically Texas of the North. Um, it, was, it was a very conservative environment. Uh, definitely had kids, you know, call me names, uh, call me... Uh, make fun of the way that I spoke, and I think, <laughs> I think the one of the ones, the one of the worst ones that I do share with people is that. Uh, so a couple times people would ask me, like I, I remember specifically sitting on the swings, and this little kid coming up to me, I was probably ten years old, eleven years old, and said, "Were you and your sister switched at birth?" <laughs> Dang, you stole my line. <laughs> Dude, that's what awesome. did you? Okay, go on. <laughs> what did you? What did you think when people said things like that? Were you just like, "No, leave me alone." I don't I mean, think I knew I did, I was so taken aback. I didn't know what to say and so hurt by it. And yeah. it was one of those things where because there was some truth to whatever they were saying that made it really piercing and just not old enough to understand myself and what um, what the implications. And I think a lot of queer people go through that experience of other people recognizing that they're different before they themselves really understand it. Well, because being different is really only defined by other people, well, right? Because you're just true. you, you know, <laughs> that like that you're not different. You're you. You're Scott. You know, it's only to the way other people what they expect from you. I mean, Julie, does that sound like an accurate description to you? Is that your memory, too? It's funny he mentioned that one experience because I remember someone saying the exact same thing to me. I bet it was the same. Was this kid. just like the one dickhead bully <laughs> in your school who was just repeating this to both of you? 
what I think is really interesting about his experience is mine, of course, is the complete opposite. So here I am. Mm-hmm. I'm seven or eight, and I'm wanting to play hockey with my older brother. He's a year older than us, and I'm outside with the guys. I'm wearing jersey to class. I'm playing on a, the only girl on most of the hockey teams till high school. Um, I felt mm-hmm. more okay being masculine and it felt very powerful I think and that was I grabbed on to hockey at a young age and played through college so I've kind of had to stick up for myself but I was more rewarded by the community uh-huh. I think there's a lot to unpack there because it's almost as if like the being the worst thing you can be is feminine and especially as as a man to act feminine and then yeah to, for Julie and I to have such different experiences she um she stood out in a good way because she was like this tomboy and um, it definitely uh, she was praised for it. And like, like so there's, there's a, a word for, for a girl who's ex more masculine. It's a tomboy. And mm-hmm. the, uh, the, the other equivalent, I mean, the flip side of that is like, a, I guess a Nancy girl. I don't even remember the term, but it's not a positive thing. Whereas uh-huh. tomboy is like neutral to positive. So Scott, you said you came out after you left Alaska, correct? Yeah. Did, we, did we you know, did, did you, like, how did that sort of happen between leaving Alaska and sort of separating from your family and then finding yourself? A lot of people you talk to who are gay or lesbian um, or trans, like they can remember from a very young age knowing that they were that identity. And I definitely have things in retrospect that I can look to where I was like, oh, that explains those thoughts that I was having. But it wasn't until I was 19 that I actually realized that I was gay. I, in growing up, when you have so many people saying something about you and assuming you're gay or calling you gay and in a, in a negative way, um, one of the defense mechanism mechanism that I came up with was to just be in such deep denial that that was true. Mm-hmm. So I didn't acknowledge it until, and the experience, the my exact moment where I had the light bulb go off was I was watching the um, Todd Haynes film Far From Heaven. Uh, I remember watching that movie and there's a gay scene in it and I was starting to get like aroused and I was like, hold on a second. Like, and then I kind of was like, wait, this is suddenly things are making a lot more sense. What did you do with that information? Do you just like tuck it away or were you instantly, did you talk to someone about it? I definitely just took to the internet to try and like find community and, yeah, and find people with a similar experience. Um, I didn't. I didn't talk to anybody for a few months, but after that, it kind of, it relatively, it helped me with my confidence so much and just knowing something about myself that I hadn't previously acknowledged. And so I felt it, you know, took, you know, six months, seven months, but I, you know, came out to most of all my family and then all my friends. So when you say you take to the internet, like what was that Google search? Oh man, it was MySpace. There were chat rooms, but you'd like meet people like, from the internet that were different places all over the US and they were talking about their experiences and you would like talk to them. But yeah, you, I mean, you wouldn't be able to tell that from my MySpace because the MySpace was just my normal MySpace. I wouldn't put like, I'm a big queer on it. (laughs) I've got questions. (laughs) Exactly. I'm questioning my sexuality. (laughs) Julie, do you remember when you first sort of thought as a, as opposed to sort of like inklings, but when you're like, I'm gay, like this is a thing in my life. Um, and from like, like, I don't know if there was a moment when you really realized that to then when you decided to tell family members or friends. So in high school, I went to Vermont and played a couple years at a competitive 
prep school and I was married to hockey. I was really into hockey. That's all I want to do is like hockey mm-hmm. and school. And so through college, I kind of played that role. I didn't, I tried dating guys and I was like, I didn't really, wasn't really interested. I did, thought they didn't like me, but it was really, I didn't want to hang out with them for, <laughs> I just wasn't, wasn't <laughs> into it. Um, and when, when hockey ended a couple weeks later, I was like, yep, I'm experimenting this. Like all of a sudden I just kind of, the hockey was over. It was no, I was done after college and I kind of started to experiment. And I actually remember talking to Scott before I came out. Um, and I feel like I, my approach was also different in the sense Scott talked about being more confident. And for me, I was, and still I'm just not as open, not as, I feel the negative a little bit being a lesbian. There's some stereotypes that aren't, that I've kind of just, you know, I've tried to, you know, I try to look feminine sometimes. I try to still kind of keep with the norm. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's kind of been a little bit different in terms of my, how open I've been, but I've, um, I told my family a couple years outside of college. So, uh, kind of still telling people, I think on this podcast, I end up telling two people like, what's the podcast about? And I'm like, um, me and my brother, like, oh yeah. And what's it about? You know? And I'm like, okay, well, we're gay and I'm talk about it. And, and I actually was surprised that, you know, people were like, oh, well, I just met someone who had similar experiences with his family. And so it's not as uncommon. I think just to me, I'm not as confident as Scott. Mm-hmm. Well, but also, Julie, one of the big differences we've had is that when I tell people that I'm gay, they believe me. And when you tell people you're gay, they don't. And it's not because you're just so, so feminine. It's just that there's always with I think that's just one of the key differences between the lesbian and gay experience is that Mm -hmm. it's always, oh, it's a phase. It's, you know, the college, you know, it's just a thing you do in college. Whereas um, there's always been this idea that male sexuality is more fixed mm-hmm. and female sexuality is more fluid. And I think there's some truth to that. But the the consequence of that is that people like my sister, when, when they come out, that people don't trust them at their word or say, oh, you just haven't met the right guy yet. Or Yeah. Or, you know, I think almost now being 28 and uh, older with my job, and I definitely, when mm-hmm. I say it, it's it's people don't doubt me now but I mean I still have family members I just talked to my aunt recently and she was just like uh you there's always a chance there's always you know there's all a little bit of a stab of like you know there's there's still hope and I think people I feel that pressure more than I I don't know maybe I'm wrong Scott but I think I feel that more than Scott (laughs) they've given up on me (laughs) look at his fashion look at his stuff he's not going back but Julie Julie you wore that dress for that one wedding like you look kind of good like maybe there's a chance that you're (laughs) you know like for my really good friends I mean everyone uh, I was just in New York City uh, for Thanksgiving and it was like yeah I mean everyone's like "Uh, well no of course you're a a lesbian (laughs) but I think for here when like a place like Boise, there's just not as many. So maybe it's the first thought is like, oh, like, you know, where's your boyfriend or, you know, you, where's mm-hmm. your kids at 28 or I don't know. It's just different. What is the dating scene like in Boise for you? You know, it changes a little bit. I've uh, been on the t- Tinder, Coffee Meets Bagel or OKCupid, stuff like that. Um, what is it like? In, like how big of a geographic range do you need in Boise <laughs> in order to like find a decent pool of women for you to be meeting? There hasn't been decent, I would say, for the most part. I mean, <laughs> I would say it, right now I'm on I go on and off of Tinder. Yeah. So it's at 25 miles. I think my range is like 25 to 35. I mean, it's uh-huh. and I would get maybe two people a day. I could be off for a week and I'd get back on it. It'd still be like three people. Um, and then the people have been very interesting, mostly looking for friends, um, mm-hmm. have kids, pregnant with a beer. I, I mean, just very not 
um, not the same life place as me, I guess. Um, I've found uh-huh. a couple, like I've had dates, but um, nothing serious. There's two gay places here. Um, there's one club called The Balcony, and so that has top dancing in Boise. So that has um, drag shows and but most, I think most of the time there's more straight people than gay people. So I'm like, what are you doing here? <laughs> there's plenty of bars here. Like, you know, there's a handful of, of gay people there on normal, but there's a, there's a lot of straight people. And then there's another bar uh, called uh, Lucky Dogs and that has gay guys. But besides that, the scene, I mean, really it's, there's just fewer people. There's like half a million in this local area. So this, the mm-hmm. scene is just not as many as I'm used to in Boston, but I don't think it's as low as maybe a smaller town. Does that bother you or are you just feeling kind of chill about it right now? I'm pretty chill. Um, I really like Boise. And I tell people I live yeah. in a bubble. So I've, I live a mile and a half from the Capitol, a mile and a half from the university. And so when you live near here, there's, there is plenty of culture. I've, I think a lot mm-hmm. of people in this, in Idaho, if you were gay, you came to Boise. That's like, so yeah. that, I think I have seen quite a bit of diversity just within the city and where I live. And if I was in a smaller town in Idaho, I think I would feel those pressures much more, but um, I really like the lifestyle here. It's there's a lot mm-hmm. to do. I like the outdoors, and the people have been great. I find it very encouraging, um, Julie. I find out like how like upbeat a, how no how great Boise is. Okay, Boise sounds amazing. <laughs> I feel great. You can't you can't keep that on here because people here we tell we tell people it's just potatoes apparently, and they all just keep going to Colorado because you want to you want to keep out. it yeah. you want to keep it nice and for yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> When I first went on my interview, they flew me to Boise, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking Middle America. I was nervous, and out my window on the interview, I saw this gay gay bar, and I'm thinking, all right, I better just check it out just to, just to see that there are gay people here. I was, I am surprised how nice and open people are, and I think especially after it's pa- like um, gay marriage has passed, and I think mm-hmm. it's become we're kind of over that hurdle. Looking even in high school and college wasn't at that point. I'm curious what you think about, you know, that whole we're constantly hearing that New York is a bubble and the rest of America is real America. I mean, do you think, Julie, that there really is that stark of a difference that we sort of imagine? Or is this sort of like New Yorkers paranoia and or, I don't know, stereotypes? When I visited for Thanksgiving, I was just like, oh, my gosh, I I miss being in the city like all these people. Uh-huh. That, it, because you have everything. You have the cultures. And I... I get so used to what I see here. I mean, just around here, there's just not as many people. There's not as much diversity. So I, I, I would say that's for the most part, I mean, pretty accurate. But just it's just incredible how many different people live in New York City, and you get exposed to. You can choose to be exposed to those cultures. I think there's still people that, you know, maybe uh, you can you can still be in your yeah kind of a not experience all of what New York or I mean, actually mm-hmm. you know, going to Chinatown and really experiencing it, but. I mean, it's not to say here there are, I've found, you know, great Korean restaurants and people from different cultures. You just have to find it. You have to look for well, it. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've done here. And that's kind of who I am to yeah. to find that diversity, even though the numbers aren't near as as big, but still there. Yeah. Have you been out to Boise, Scott? Not yet, but I'm going in a week and a half. Oh, I can't wait to hear your report about the gay scene. <laughs> yeah, Tell exactly. us about Balcony 2 from your point <laughs> of view. I'll tell you about Grindr and Boise. Yeah. Um, <laughs> How does it feel now hanging out together as adults who are, you know, fully out with your sexualities and like going out on the town when you were in New York visiting? It's been great. And actually, I think the last 
probably four or five years um, that he's been in New York City. It, it's been fun just showing up to one of his friends' house and being the only girl. And they're like, oh, you're – hey, guys, she's family. And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, oh, my God, they're lesbian. <laughs> like, I don't have many lesbian friends. So I get a lot of embrace <laughs> from all the gay guys. So that's been a lot of fun. I now have um, friends in New York City that are lesbians and um, that – had a great time visiting with them and kind of mm-hmm. blending blending that because I think being lesbian and, and being gay are so different that there yeah. I, there isn't a lot of like there's not a lot ton of lesbians hanging out with gay guys it's not uh, it's not as popular they're kind of on their own the opposite side of the spectrum so yeah I definitely won't be the same experience as him coming to Boise but yeah. um um it's funny to me Julie you pointed out that when you see Scott now in New York that it's like a million men everywhere or that like you live in this I think of you Scott as existing in this extremely sort of like masculine sphere Maybe testosterone. Sort of. Maybe testosterone is the better way to put yeah. it. <laughs> or just that like the the Y chromosomal. I know something. it's well it's strange that we sort of associate gay maleness with femininity when you're like but it's just a whole bunch of dudes together. Yeah, Isn't that what's by more definition not that? feminine? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's um, it is it is a different experience from college where a lot of my peers hadn't come out yet, and all my friends were heterosexual, and so I was always going to, to straight bars. And then uh, since I moved to New York, most of my friends are all gay mm-hmm. now, and it's an interesting kind of shift um, that I'm the same person, and yet like my social. Your surroundings, uh, surroundings are so different. So when you're going out to straight bars and stuff, you're just going out with your buddies, but you are out and gay, mm-hmm. and you're just all just partying normally. Yeah. Did you date much when you were in college? Not really. I had a boyfriend for like six, seven months um, at one point in time, but it definitely had you had that feeling where I knew all the gay people in town. I didn't want to date any of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so when people say that New York dating is so hard. I I think that's crazy. Like it's definitely a different kind of problem here. It's like an abundance problem. Mm-hmm. Like when you go to the grocery store and you're like, I don't know which toothpaste to choose. Yeah. <laughs> but like and you're immobilized by the choice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But like in in other places, you know, no one's no one's ever like, oh, it's easy dating here. Like no yeah. one's no one's ever said that about Where the Where is anyone ever live. saying that? Yeah. <laughs> Um, so New York has its own set of problems. You know, no one wants to settle down. People always have their eye on the next thing. Um, and that, that's one of the things that's so interesting. And that, I guess that's something Julie and I have in common is like when you're a lesbian or when you're gay, the pool in which you date from is also the pool in which you you draw your friends from, too. So mm-hmm. it's not it, that is a unique lens in which to view your social and romantic lives. Have you thought about if you want to have a family someday? Just get like super intense about it. <laughs> I've always thought about like maybe this is a little bit from our mom or how like really grandchildren was. Um, I'm happy we have one brother that's straight because we're hoping he can pull through and, you know, produce some kids. I think if I'm the right person, the right place in uh, my life, I would definitely yeah. consider having a family. But at the same time, if it's not in my cards. Yeah. How about you, Scott? Yeah, yeah I'm definitely looking for a partner um, and I don't want kids. How do you know that you don't want kids? I think I see straight people um, coming together and creating kids accidentally or on purpose. And there's something really powerful about the way that they combine their DNA and pop out a human life. And I think that's really cool. But um, I have no interest. Kids to me just sound like parasites who sap <laughs> all the fun out of your life and future. Um, so but You totally want your brother to have one, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to be an uncle. I don't want to be a dad. Yeah. I can see that. (laughs) (laughs) 
but you know, Julie and I have talked about um, some had some interesting conversations. There was a period where some of her friends were interested in having me as their sperm donor, and what that would look like. And did you did you think seriously about doing it? Or oh, I was all in, but they ended mm-hmm. up wanting to go with the the bank because apparently it's cheaper and faster. Versus there's like a whole like incubation period and yeah. like all this stuff if you get the sperm like fresh or whatever. Um, but we've talked about like, well, what if Julie finds a partner and they want a kid and mm. I donate my sperm to her partner's egg and then suddenly, she, you know, it's almost like she's. But then Uncle Dad is such a weird idea. <laughs> I think Mom actually is one of the person who thought about this one. In a, of course, the, the mom is the one who really, your mom's like, I've got it, guys. Yeah. <laughs> she just loves Scott's genes. She's like, it needs to pass on. But don't worry, Scott, there'll be plenty of other lesbians that of my friends that would love your sperm. So. Well, <laughs> well, that should help with any existential problems I have about like not reproducing. <laughs> Thank you so much to our guests, Julie Rising and Scott Rising. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Twins, yeah. Report, report back after Scott takes Boise. And we'll yeah, hear what you're happens. Your correspondent. Your queer <laughs> correspondent from Boise. <laughs> if you have stories about your own siblings, yourself, and how you deal with sexual identity in the strange landscape that is family, give us a call. Our voicemail line is always open. It's 646-494-3590. Sex Lives is produced by Afim Shapiro and Alana Milner. Thanks also to Laura Mara and Andy Bowers at Panoply. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.